welcome to Kim Knows Nothing. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Wow. Yeah. That's Kim over there. Uh-huh. And I am... The other host. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Stacy. Thanks very much. Oh, you know what sucks is I kept wanting to say Sheila like all day. I was like, oh, I got to go over and record this. And I was like, like I'm hell? Sheila. No, I just I knew it started with an S and I just couldn't remember. You forgot my it. name. No, I wouldn't. I knew it started with an S. Huh? I have so many other things to remember. My keys <laughs> <laughs> to like put on clothes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough, you know. It's it's hard being a Kim. It is hard. It is hard. I'm always worried that I'm going to like trip. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've had some falls. I have one on camera. <laughs> yeah, you do. That I made we a do. gif out of. We should put that online and show people. Okay. That's just me That'd falling. That'd be pretty good. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a good, good one. It's a classic. It's, it's really one of good. my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you know that Kim wasn't really hurt or anything, it's funny. It was really. I'm always, if you look at it, it's kind of sad. If you think like, "Oh, is she okay?" I'm always okay. <laughs> I'm always. <laughs> always she bounces back. She's I always right want it up. to be filmed. When, um, fun fact, we went ice skating a we, couple weeks ago. We did, and um, someone was filming it, and I said that if I fall, like, <laughs> be filming all the time because <laughs> if I fall, I'm definitely gonna want it to be on film. <laughs> That's very I Kim. See it, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> She's all about the uh, the physical, the practical. What is it like the practical humor or like the physical comedy? I'm all about prop jokes. Okay, yeah. I'm like the top. carrot top of my generation. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah. So, uh, listeners, I want to just say, leave us a review, please. Yeah, yeah. That'd be so dope. Just, you know. Super dope. <laughs> super dope on your Apple Podcast app. If you're looking for something dope to do, <laughs> this is it. Kim's mocking me. No. Um, if you're using uh, iTunes, just all you got to do is tap the number of stars you think we deserve. You can go to the effort of like actually writing a review. And I've read some that people have left recently. So sweet. Everybody, thank you so much mm-hmm. for leaving reviews. We read every single one of them. You guys mm-hmm. are the best. But leave us some more reviews. <laughs> and then you're the best but do it again do it again <laughs> uh, then on stitcher it's a little tricky you have to do it on in a web browser so we have instructions there if you go to kimknowsnothing.com it's funny Re- web browser <laughs> a web browser yeah yeah well i know tech talk you've got to go to the library go to the <laughs> yeah. web browser log in <laughs> yeah, get yeah. a library card also we have something fun super fun very exciting very exciting late on us it's a phone number never had one before never had a phone number ever getting those digits yeah yep (laughs) so we have it basically functions as just a voicemail your classic vm yep we also can receive texts on this number too which is cool technology is (laughs) cool so call us up leave us a message Mm -hmm. uh we it would be really fun to hear from you guys Uh uh-huh so here's a thought why don't you call us up and uh, leave a voicemail. Let us know if you found anything incorrect in Kim's statements <laughs> during the episode. You're not going to find any falsities in Stacy's. No, because I'm thoroughly researched. But I, having seen both movies multiple times, still don't know which one is called Enough and which one is called Double Jeopardy. <laughs> so there's lots of incorrect stuff going on. Yeah. So uh, it would Wrong be great words. to hear from you guys and leave us a fun voicemail. Leave a, a Kim correction mm-hmm. if you can think of any, any from any prior episodes or this episode. I think it'd be fun. Yeah, and then uh, if we like your voicemail, we'll play it on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Look at that. And um, if we if your voicemail is hurtful, we'll play it at my therapist. <laughs> 
at her therapist. I'm going to therapy. That's the second time you've talked about that. I know. And it's not. I know. Both times I've been like, I don't go. Oh, man. Uh, I should. So the phone number to call to leave us your sweet voicemails is area code 747-217-2312. And we are in the U.S., so... Mm-hmm. If you don't know what that area code means, then <laughs> dial one. Dial one because that's, yeah, that's that's our, our country, country code. code. But also, I don't know if that's going to cost you a million dollars. It's a Google Voice number, so I don't know how it works. If it's going to cost you a million dollars, you know, worth instead it. just leave us. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep, worth it. So again, seven four seven two one seven two three one two. We're going to put it on the internets, on the Googles. <laughs> And the Instagrams. Yep. Yep. Just definitely pluralize all of those words. <laughs> yeah. We're going to put it <laughs> on all of the internet. <laughs> all right. Well, that's fun. We got to just get that out of the way. And now let's... <laughs> that's fun. We got to get, get the fun thing get, done. Get the fun out of the way. You ready to get started? Are we going to talk about crime? Crime? Yeah. We're going to be talking about... <gasps> murder? Murds. What is it called, Kim? Murds on the cast. Yeah. Here at Kim Knows Nothing, I share a true crime story. Uh-huh. Kim knows nothing about true crime. Uh-huh. And I research a story, and I tell it to her, and she reacts just like your average person would. <laughs> she has sound effects. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know everything, but Kim knows nothing. She's... In, in the 90s, was there a movie with Meg Ryan and Nicolas Cage where Nicolas Cage was an angel and Meg Ryan rode bicycles? City of Angels. Why? <laughs> <laughs> why <laughs> why was that a, i keep hearing that um goo goo dolls song on the radio oh yeah like was that a, a real movie or did i make that up in my head i never saw it i saw like a scene from it because it would be on tv sometimes i just remember meg ryan riding on the bike like with her arms out and her eyes closed and i think that she was trying to die because oh whoa Nicolas cage was a ghost i don't know i didn't see it i don't remember her being on a bike Maybe this will be our first Kim correction. (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't know what this movie is. Call in now. All right. So this week we're going to talk about the murder of four people. Oh. Oh. Why are you excited? (laughs) She gets excited now. Like like she's happy about it. That's not not good. I'm not happy, but I was like, oh, I pluralized it correctly. Yeah. Sorry. No, bad. Yeah. And the method was arson. Oh, very scary. Ever heard of it? Uh, Yes, I have. What is it? Fire. Yeah. Good, Kim. Okay. (laughs) So the story's pretty in-depth. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) Not backdraft. You got scared. (laughs) You were so animated and excited. It just, it took me aback. Sorry, I just woke up and realized what, what we were talking about. You Rip Van Winkle? You were sleeping for like yeah. 50 years? Oh, I, I don't have this beard for no reason. We're really losing track. Let's focus up. Let's Arson. focus. We're back Backdraft. in. Back in. All right. Go. So the story is pretty in-depth. Okay. And what we're going to do for this episode is it's a two-parter. <gasps> this is part one. Very exciting. Yeah, very exciting indeed. So I started my research and I realized that the best resource that I could get my hands on was this book that was written about this story. So I read the whole book. Whoa. Are you impressed? I am very impressed. It's around 400 pages. Dang. Pretty cool. Are you a book reader normally? Yes, I am. 
Nerd. I've got a Kindle. Nerd. Love it. You love books. I do love books. You're I like love the, them so you're much. Like the I, queen of books. I was reading a book right before I got here. You know how many times you've put books on your Instagram? Like oh, pictures so of just books. Just recent. My my most recent Instagram yes. post is a book picture. Yes. And, and guess not, what? That that was just <laughs> that wasn't even all the books I bought at the no, store that day. No. That was just all that were in the same theme. Right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> She's a real book fiend. Yeah. If you will. I will. As am I. Now. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, these murders occurred in 1984 right here in Southern California. Ooh. In a little town called South Pasadena. Oh, South Pass. Yeah, South Pass. It's a pretty upscale area just mm-hmm. east of downtown Los Angeles. It's like northeast. It is. It, it's upscale. It's nice. You know, bad things don't really happen there because it's a quiet little, you know, sort of rich community. There used to be a blockbuster there. Oh, there used to be blockbusters in many a city. I know. I used to work at a blockbuster there. That's right. Yeah. We would call that store the South Pass store. South Pass. That's what people call it. The locals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was 7.30 p.m. on October 10th, 1984, when Billy and his wife Ada Deal, both age 50, with their two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, went into a local hardware store in South Pasadena called Oli's. Little Matthew had seen a Baskin-Robbins ice cream shop nearby and asked for ice cream. Oh, Matthew. And his grandparents promised him he could get some ice cream after they were done shopping. Since the store was closing at 7.30 at night, the couple decided they'd split up and grab what they needed quickly in the store before they closed the store. So Ada... She put two-and-a-half-year-old Matthew, Troidal was his last name, Matthew, in the shopping cart and headed for the paint section. Okay. While Billy, Grandpa Billy, headed to the oh, section where the two-by-fours were. This is already just really bumming me out. I know. Super, this, super hard. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. This is a sad one. Okay, great. <laughs> I, I came in like hot and was like, backdraft! So excited. kind of like, ooh, cool. Laughing now it I'm up. Like, very bummed. Yeah. You're going to be more bummed. There were others in the store, some shoppers, and then, of course, employees. And working that night were 17-year-old Jimmy Satina and 26-year-old Carolyn Krause. Jimmy Satina was a high school senior and a talented athlete who was being scouted by the Chicago Cubs to play double-A ball. Whoa. This kid was talented. Flying the W. You know how I feel about baseball. Well, this brings, me, this brings me to an interesting point. <laughs> okay. Speaking of baseball... In October 1984, what was happening in the baseball world? It was the World Series, and I'll tell you who was in the World Series. The San Diego Padres. Good job. They lost. That was the first time that we went to the series. We did lose. Um, That was the year that uh, I was born, and I was just a little baby. Yep. And I already was like, these boys in brown and like a goldish yellow are going to break my heart. I'm going to fall in love and have have my little heart broken so many times by them. Kim's from San Diego. She's a fan of the Padres, yeah, yeah. in case you didn't <laughs> guess. Uh, this was not scripted. I put this in my notes, and I I just put, like, what was happening in October of 1984, Kim? <laughs> you knew I was going to know. I knew she would know. Yeah. Moving on. Cool. So. <laughs> I think that's for the best. <laughs> also working in the store, Oli's Home Center, was 26-year-old Carolyn Krause, who was working in the paint department. And she likely helped Ada, the grandma, pick out the paint that she needed. Because she was probably so good at her job. Probably. She probably loved mixing the paint. Yeah. Talking to the family about, like, Doing ooh, paint this stuff. blue is going to look great. In and the stuff. nursery or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And Carolyn was married. Remember, she's 26 years old. She had two young children, and she was married to an LAPD lieutenant. Oh. That's Los Angeles Police Department, if you're not familiar 
with that acronym. I am familiar with that acronym, but I don't really understand like lieutenant and captain and all that kind of stuff. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, that's all I know. Right. That's all you need to know. Nine-Nine, you know? <laughs> and before I throw more names at you, I'll tell you that these are our four victims, okay? So 50-year-old Ada Deal. Okay. Her two-and-a-half-year-old grandson, Matthew oh, Troidel. God. 17-year-old Jimmy Satina and 26-year-old Carolyn Krause. Okay. But also in the store was 19-year-old Jim Obdum, who was working in the hardware department. It was at around 8 p.m. when he thought he heard something over the PA system, so he headed to the front of the store when he noticed a giant column of smoke rising up from a display rack. Oh, my gosh. There were still customers in the store, but some of them had seen the smoke and started heading out. Jim didn't feel too worried about it yet. He went up to Carolyn Krause, the uh, woman who worked in the paint department, and asked her if anyone was in her department. She said she would go check on that. For any stragglers that he did see, customers, he told them, there's smoke in the building, just get out as fast as you can. This is a very responsible young man. Oh, yeah. How He's old is killing, he? 19. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Jim then came across Ada Deal and her grandson, and he told them to leave the store. But Ada didn't really think it was that serious, so she kind of grabbed a couple more items, put them in her cart. Oh, and no. Jim, But then Jim grabbed the shopping cart, and he like stopped her, and he's like, no, get out. Jim. Yeah. Yeah, so Jim then started heading for the front door, assuming that the the lady and the baby were behind him. But then, almost out of nowhere, Jim Obdom describes that cloud of smoke instantly turning into a wall of flames. Oh, shit. Just like fire, just instantly, out of nowhere, which is terrifying. Yeah. And as if it couldn't get any scarier, as he headed to, toward the door, all of a sudden, as a reaction to the fire having erupted, a steel door rolled down. It was a fire door that comes down into place. Oh, my gosh. Now, this is an interior door. So all it does is it partitions off a section of the building so that the fire can't spread. So it, it was a way to help contain the fire. There are mm -hmm. still other exits you can use. This wasn't even really an exit. It was just a, a partition in the store itself. Oh, that's really scary. But how terrifying is that? Yeah. Just a few moments, moments later, there was a pop sound and then oh. the lights went out. No. And it's totally dark. This is terrifying. And Jim describes feeling absolutely trapped, which is just the worst. Meanwhile, Billy Deal, the grandpa, mm -hmm. husband of Ada Deal, grandfather to Matthew, had been in another section of the store and was oh, told no. by other employees to get out of the store because there was a fire. And so he did. Jim Obdum, even though it was now almost pitch black, he knew where the fire exit was since he worked there. And when he finally made his way out, he remembers touching his arm and the flesh just falling right off of his arm. Oh, my God. Isn't that awful? Yeah. So firefighters arrived with Captain William Eisel in charge. And Billy Eisel? <laughs> I don't know. Is that a name? I, well, it's William. You just jumped in real quick with that. I did. What? Oh, man. And it took 125 firefighters in total to get it contained. Oh, my gosh. And they did eventually put it out. Sadly, though, it would later be determined that the four victims had already lost their lives before the first fire truck even arrived at the scene. Oh, my God. There was no hope. That's really sad, but it's also like, man, you don't want them suffering also. No. That's really sad. Yeah, it is. When the search of the building was done, the bodies of Carolyn Krause and Jimmy Satina were found oh. 20 feet inside the store fire exit that Jim had used to escape. 20, they were 20 feet away. Dude. And then Ada Deal and little Matthew were found about 40 feet away from the same fire exit, Jeez. which is just, I mean, this is very tragic. Yeah. And what was actually strange about this incident was that there were actually two other fires that had broken out in the same area. 
huh. which was totally unheard of in this small suburban area. But especially for fires to be set in retail stores during business hours, that already is rare. But now yeah. you've got three total fires in the same area. One fire was at a Vaughn's grocery store just a few blocks away. The other was at an Albertsons grocery store in nearby Pasadena, also just a few blocks away. At the Albertsons, an investigation into arson was already underway with arson investigator Scott McClure at the scene by 6.45 p.m., so just before the Oli's fire would have started. He was able to find the point of origin which is where the fire started. Mm -hmm. And it was in a display rack of potato chips. Now, do you know that, and I learned this in my research, that mm -hmm. bags of potato chips are, are explosive? highly flammable. I was totally kidding. I was making a joke when no, I No, they're said not that. explosive. But get they're, out. If you need to start a fire, get out a bag of, like, you can do Doritos, Cheetos, Lay's, whatever, because the oil's in there and then the bag as well. Wow. You've got your own portable little... Firestarter. Would you like to hear an interesting fact about barbecue Lay's baked barbecue yes. potato chips? Yes. They have meat. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did they say that on the bag? Uh, yep. In very small print. Wow. Uh, you have to really read the ingredients. Kim's a vegetarian, so. Yeah, maybe. got to watch out for that. Maybe, maybe not anymore. anymore. Technically not. I have reset the clock about four years ago <laughs> yeah. when I learned that fact. I'm like, chomping, chomping. All of a sudden, I was like, oh, shoot. Anyway. And it's bullshit. They don't tell you. They should really make it clear. They really should. I feel like there's a lot of secret things like that that you don't know there's meat in it. Oh, I'm definitely eating a lot of meat. I oh, don't yeah. know that I'm really without, that good at Without being aware. At least you're yeah. trying. I am trying. I don't eat it on purpose. Right. That's all that matters. Yeah. It's the thought that counts. <laughs> I think so. So, <laughs> so arson investigator Scott McClure found the point of origin in the, in the a display rack of potato chips. McClure also called onto the scene one of the best arson investigators in the Los Angeles area named John Orr, and he agreed that the point of origin was the display rack, and he explained to Scott McClure what I just explained to you about how potato chips are, like, crazy flammable. So this dude, like, knows what he's talking about. This guy, he's the best in the biz. That's right. So he knew. He was like, this is where it started. Those potato chips are very flammable. Mm -hmm. And the material that the bag is made of also helps with that fire. The Vaughn's fire too was determined to be caused by arson. But over at Oli's hardware store though, no chips. No chips. Paint chips. Oh. Oh, not no. Can't eat those. Not relevant here. I, uh, <laughs> you can't oh, eat those. <laughs> <laughs> but that fire was deemed an accident. I don't think so. Okay? Okay. Yeah, because <laughs> because I started the episode saying these murders were you said Mertz. Were arson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So okay. I was like, okay. So the next morning, a six-person team led by Sergeant Jack Palmer of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department arson and explosives detail began the investigation. The first step in arson investigation is to find the point of origin. If you can find this, you can learn a lot about a fire. Normally, when a fire breaks out, it moves upward, climbing like walls or ceilings, whatever it can. And it follows the path of least resistance in a V pattern. Oh, weird. So if you can find where the, the V lines meet, essentially, mm -hmm. that's your point of origin. Then you're, there's your crock pot. What? Uh, the, from This Is Us. <laughs> oh. Cool. oh, spoilers. No, well, if you don't know it's a crock pot by <laughs> no. now, then you have it, you're not watching the show. So Yeah, stop watching. Oh, God, it's so good. I just got bored. I never bored. <laughs> I'm never bored Mandy by Mandy Moore. Moore's acting. <laughs> um, 47 meters down. Go on. <laughs> every episode now. Every episode. I think it's my thing now. I'm mm -hmm. so sorry, listeners. She's the worst. Yeah. So this fire, though, wasn't that simple. They weren't able to find that 
classic V pattern. They weren't able to pinpoint a, a point of origin. So they had to make their best guess. And Sergeant Palmer, who was very experienced, and he was thinking that the fire had started from above and fallen down. So somewhere up in the attic. Oh. It took about an hour and a half, but Sergeant Palmer came to the conclusion that there had been some sort of electrical malfunction in the attic of the building, and this caused the fire. They need to talk to young, young James. Young John Orr? Yeah. Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah. potato chip guy. Yeah, <laughs> Lots of names. Yeah, Lots, lots of, of names being thrown at me. I'm just I'm, throwing names, yeah, names, yeah. names, names. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll help you with names. Okay, thanks. I need help, just in general. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Call in now. <laughs> oh, no. Why am I crying? <laughs> <laughs> no, Kim, no. So, I'm not crying. <laughs> because Sergeant Palmer was from the Sheriff's Department, even though some firefighters at the scene felt like he might have been incorrect, because he was essentially a cop... No argument could really be made. And what I what I found in my research and what becomes a big part of this story is that firefighters and cops often oh, yeah. are at odds with each other. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of distrust there, a lack of respect. And if a cop says that, okay, this was arson, the firefighters can't really argue with it, but then they can become bitter about that fact. Yeah. So there's all the, these this politics about it. When the copper says, hey, hey. It's not, it's not this. <laughs> Use your words. Good. Well cool. played. Thank you. Your mom worked in the uh, fire department, right? So she, she knows my about mom, the politics. My mom uh, taught pre-hospital care. So right. firefighters, paramedics, um, yes. EMTs. She taught all the emergency medicine. Right. Yeah. So, and, and she worked with cops also, but m- more with firefighters and paramedics and mm-hmm. stuff. So I know things about stuff. She knows a thing or two. Yeah. So she knows lots of stuff. I literally only know one or two things. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. I think so. That adds up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That all checks out. Yeah. (laughs) So soon the funerals were held for the victims. And the whole thing is just really so sad. With a mother of two, a teenage kid, and a grandmother and her grandson all dying in that fire. God. I don't think it you could be any more tragic. It's so sad. It's the sad. If it's, you are writing a lifetime movie yeah. about like, oh, I'm going to write this really sad arson story. Yeah. That's who you would put in this situation. Oh, yeah. It's 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 tragic. Oh, At the funeral of 17-year-old Jimmy Satina, over 1,200 people attended. Wow. It was his, his Catholic church that they decided they wanted to have it during school hours. So, and everybody at the school got to just leave and just go to this funeral and everybody yeah. was there and jimmy had gotten the job at Oli's to help his family pay for a used volkswagen beetle which now just ended Ugh. up sitting in the driveway and eventually jimmy's father couldn't even look at it anymore and he had to get rid of it Jeez. so sad and yeah for ada deal and her grandson matthew troidel they were buried together in a casket ada cradling oh. the two and a half year old in her arms it's just like god just just the worst saddest saddest truly when the autopsies were done it was determined that all four victims had died from burns and smoke inhalation but it was that arson investigator i mentioned before john Orr. remember the potato chip guy? yeah he was not convinced potato that, chip john that's what they call him that's right in the academy in, in the fire academy <laughs> yeah, yeah okay got it they just call it the academy right got it just called potato chip john got it okay so he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't convinced this was an accident and he wanted to make it his mission to find out what really happened he first went to visit the sister-in-law of the other victim, Carolyn Krause. Remember, she worked in the paint, depart- paint department. Mm-hmm. So her sister-in-law, Karen Krause, worked for the Glendale Police Department. Glendale is a city that's nearby mm-hmm. to Pasadena and South Pasadena, where this fire occurred. Mm-hmm. He wanted to talk to her about 
how the death of her sister-in-law was actually not an accident. John Orr told her that there had actually been some other fires, including the including one at another retail store called Builders Emporium in North Hollywood. Oh. So this uh, North NoHo. Hollywood. Yeah, we call it NoHo. North uh-huh. Hollywood is a neighborhood in the San Fernando Valley. <laughs> so sometimes. It's north of Hollywood. It's literally North Hollywood. Uh, sometimes when you say like, oh, Glendale's near pa- South Pass or North Hollywood is a neighborhood in the Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, I forget that you're telling the listeners. Right. And in my head, I'm like, no, I un- I know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm, know. I'm terrible at directions, which is why it's like, my instinct is to be like, at least I know that one. She's so insulted. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling it's, this to it's our warranted. lovely listeners in the rest of the country, mm-hmm. as well as Australia and the mm-hmm. UK. We've mm-hmm. got listeners all over the place. Yeah. They don't know where Glendale is. No. Nor should they. No, well, it's fine. <laughs> it's, I mean, what? It's a place. It's a, yeah. So he told her about another fire that had occurred at a retail store under very similar circumstances. The store was called Builders Emporium in North Hollywood, and it was clearly arson. Because of the potato chips? Yeah. Potato chip John, that's like his go-to. If he doesn't see any potato chips, he's like, no, no, accident. (laughs) Don't even know if it was a fire. (laughs) This fire was clearly arson, and a signature incendiary device had been found. Potato chips. Do you know what an incendiary device is? Um, I don't know, but sometimes people say that word. And I'm always like, yeah, it is that. <laughs> people are like, do you even know what I'm talking about? And I'm like, well, I wasn't listening. No. So what it is, is what an arsonist would use to start a fire, basically. Okay. And this is a... Potato si- chips. Right, potato chips. <laughs> no, this is a signature device because it was very specific and unique. It was three matches, mm-hmm. a cigarette... Uh-huh. And yellow lined paper, all held together with a rubber band. That's my wallet. <laughs> That's what I. <laughs> Kim's a smoker. I'm not a smoker. You're an idiot. She's, I'm not. She's so offended that I would even make that <laughs> I know. joke. Don't There's think not that. much that like we uh, live in LA. Nobody listen, smoks here. Nobody. It's not cool. read a magazine from the 80s. Like the, nobody smokes anymore. In the 80s, people were smoking everywhere. But people were learning that it was like bad. Yeah, more in the Maybe. 90s. Uh, I don't really know. Okay. Listen, I'm not a smoker, mom. <laughs> she's I just she's gonna oh. listen to it eventually. In like six months from now, she'll listen. Kim is not a smoker. That was a joke. Kim's mom. <laughs> Got it. So this incendiary device was a delay device, meaning that the cigarette would basically be lit, and it would give the arsonist about ten minutes to leave before the cigarette burned up to the match, the three matches. Then the matches would ignite. Oh. Then catch the yellow lined paper on fire. And then usually it was placed onto items that were already flammable. So potato maybe chips. near potato chips, yes. <laughs> or near other items that we're going to talk about. Um, and so essentially it's a delay device, but it's a signature device because it was something that the arson investigators had never seen before. Okay. So it was really specific and really unique. Yeah. So that fire at Builders Emporium. He was, remember, he's talking to the sister-in-law of one of the victims. Yeah. He said that that had been left on a poly, polypropylene mattress. But the reason the device was found was because the sprinkler system had activated and stopped the fire before it got out of control. But that polypropylene, oh. the polypropylene is very flammable. 
Okay. So once you Why get it, do they make mattresses out of that then? You well, know what's the thing from when we were kids is, uh, you know, like the nightgowns from being a kid that would be like Disney princesses or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Those, remember that for a while, those were like crazy highly flammable. No, I didn't and know And they that. don't make them like that anymore. Dang. Yeah, for like a period of time when you and I were youths. Yeah. Uh, and we were in our little like little mickey mouse Minnie mouse pajamas yeah i had we aladdin jam a fireball waiting to happen <laughs> <laughs> like, i didn't know that yeah a fireball waiting to happen. yeah dang i know that's terrifying i know wow i don't wear mine anymore yeah. that's why that's why <laughs> me too <laughs> so john Orr told karen the sister-in-law of the victim that he believe believed that arson investigators should have been present at the autopsies of the victims because it would have shown that polypropylene may have been found in their lungs. Yeah. His theory was that the Oldies fire had started the same way as Builder's Emporium. And John Orr said that a proper investigation had not been done. And he wanted to find some justice for these victims and this see what, re- what really Good happened. For him. And since it was considered an accident, the store, Oldies, where the deaths occurred, the store was later held liable in a lawsuit that awarded the families of the victims $4 million. Each? Just total for everybody. And then just two months later... I don't know later, why I asked. Like, that doesn't do anything. No. Are you gonna, what you, the thing that sucks about this settlement money is, like, what do you do with it? You're going to spend money? Yeah. Then you're just going to s- see that thing and always think, like... Yeah. What are you... Oh, I'm so glad I have this, like, new car instead of, you know... A lot of times I hear sucks. that that money doesn't even end up paying out. It's not even a guarantee that you're going to get that money. That's awful. Depends on the situation, but... So then just two months later, as if the arsonist was trying to tell the authorities that they had made a mistake in calling the Oli's fire an accident, another Oli's home store in nearby Pasadena on Colorado Boulevard was set oh. on fire. Shit. So kind of like sending a message. Yeah. And found at the scene that signature incendiary device of matches a cigarette and yellow lined paper. Same guy. I'm going to go out on the list. Got to be the same guy. Got to be. So it appears we have a serial arsonist on our hands here, but the authorities would have a tough time figuring out who was responsible for all these fires. One of the fires I'm going to tell you about now, it happened many years later. Many moons later. Indeed. But, <laughs> but Kim, you have a connection to it. Uh, uh-oh. It was a fire on the Warner Brothers lot. Are you familiar? What? Okay, Kim. Wait, would, yes. Oh, wait, yes. Would you like to explain to our listeners what you're, we, we know you work at Warner Brothers, but what? is your history with Warner Brothers. Oh, wait. I actually don't know. Why do I have you, so many questions. Why do you or should you know everything about the Warner Brothers lot? So, not to brag, but <laughs> <laughs> um, for a couple of years, I was a Warner Brothers tour guide. So cool. For almost two years, I was a Warner Brothers tour guide. Yep. So, um, Warner Brothers is a, obviously, studio here at, in lovely Los Angeles, started by four real brothers, Jack, Sam, Harry, and Albert, once glosser from Poland. Kim's going to go through the and full the tour. <laughs> yeah. Hop on the golf cart. Oh, we and have join two us. hours to do this really quick on oh, a quick yeah. sidebar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great. From Hollywood, it's time for... A Warner Brothers tour. Their real name was Once Glosser. Wow. I know. They changed it probably because they were... They were Pol- They came here from Poland yeah. to Ohio. A lot of name changes happened to, to, so that they wouldn't be discriminated against. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And then... That's cool, um, Yeah. And then they came out here to Los Angeles and bought a studio and then eventually had enough money to be able to buy Warner Brothers and now here they are. They're not here anymore. 
No. No. They've passed. They've since passed. Right. But uh, yeah, and I still work at Warner Brothers, but not as a tour guide anymore. She's but graduated. I, I've graduated. They gave me, oh, I did my little tassel. It was really cute. She's now the mayor of Warner Brothers. I we am, talked about this in a previous episode. Yeah, yeah. So. I am the mayor of so Warner Brothers. Cool. I do like to roll around and be like, oh, there's so-and-so. Hey, buddy. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. She's very cool. Um, I, I don't think I know this fire, though, at Warner Brothers, and I'm at once curious and also very angry she's so, but she's like her eyes are <laughs> yeah, crazy I'm like, right now <laughs> so what burned down in a suspicious fire was part of the set of a show called the waltons oh and the waltons was a cbs show that aired from 1972 to 1981 and was about a, a family in rural virginia during the great depression and world war ii that show obviously with the rural setting there's a barn a chicken coop a sawmill and an old style house with like a big old porch mm-hmm and do you did you ever say on your tour where th- these were located or you would say like yes. so all all i knew about it was i would say this area known as bluebell alabama starring america's sweetheart rachel bilson as a cardiothoracic surgeon turned small town country doctor she doesn't have great side bedside manner but she's got gumption she's got heart she's got talent damn it <laughs> Um, Foul language. I know. You know what? I'm going to do another Kim's Corner about Rachel Bilson. Okay. So don't you dare. Don't threaten me with a good time. Um, I would say this used to be other things, including Walton Mountain. And then it got moved over to the ranch. Right. But I didn't know why. Because it burned down. Well, now I know. Now right. I got to go back to every single person. Go I gave a tour to. Story. Told them I was Kelly Clarkson's kid sister. Just giving a tour here at Warner <laughs> Brothers and explain why it moved. <laughs> So, Kim, as you know, Warner Brothers operates, it's kind of like its own, like, little city. Like, it's got gates all around. You've got to have security let you in. They've got, even down to, they have their own fire department, They do have their own fire department. So, if a fire is going to break out on the Warner Brothers lot, the Warner Brothers fire department is going to respond. And I could be wrong, but Warner Brothers has its own zip code, and I could be wrong, but I think that the reason it has its own zip code is because it has a fire department on the lot. Ah. And it can operate within a mile of the studio. Very cool. Just sorry, I blacked out for a second. All my Warner Brothers facts came back to me. I mentioned Warner Brothers, and she's just like just her gone. brain exploded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so on November twenty second, nineteen ninety one, the Warner Brothers Studio Fire Department was called to the old Walton set to deal with a fire that had started at around three thirty p.m. The Warner Brothers Fire Department began putting it out right away, and by chance, a city of Burbank fire inspector happened to be driving by and noticed the smoke. Now Warner Brothers, the lot is in the city of Burbank. Mm-hmm. So the Burbank Fire Department also showed up and they helped put out the fire. And while this was happening, of course, like a bunch of Warner Brothers employees like gathered to like watch Tour it. guides. Just being like, like oh, come on over here, guys. I bet for like a second, they're probably like, oh, they're shooting a movie. Like it's a fire. Oh, well, that's Ooh. real. Oh, whoa. <laughs> but soon it, you know, it was contained. And also at the scene was Captain Steve Patterson, the lead fire investigator for the city of Burbank. He checked to see if this was an electrical fire, but he found no evidence of that. Inside the burned chicken coop, Patterson noticed that there was a burn pattern that resembled residue from some sort of flammable liquid, and the fire was ultimately deemed arson. Whoa. Crazy, right? Drama. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So our first fire I talked about was in 1984 in South Pasadena. Then Mm -hmm. I jumped a little bit ahead in time to talk about... You fast forwarded. I got to fast forward. That's right. To talk yeah. about the fire in 1991 in Burbank. I'm late because I was like enthralled. Right. But yeah, you did 
I, I did shift it around a little bit for the maximum Kim effect. Yeah, that's all I'm looking for. I gotta get that um, in there. Yeah, anybody, if you ever see me on the street or whatever, I always want the maximum Kim effect in yep, any way possible. Always. Yeah. Let's rename the podcast Maximum <laughs> Kim Effect. So Burbank and South Pasadena are about 15 miles apart. Mm-hmm. Walkable. They're still, yeah, definitely walkable. <laughs> now, let's talk about some other fires. Oh. Okay. Okay. This dude is a fire setter. Indeed. I assume dudes. Ladies don't do this. Ladies don't do anything bad ever. <laughs> no, we don't. No. You know what? It's 2018. Time's up. Sometimes we do. But you got to lean in. Sometimes we do bad stuff. You're just saying a bunch of hashtags. <laughs> yeah, that's all I do. Give but, us a walking uh, yeah, I don't think ladies arson. I don't think ladies arson. Got it. <laughs> all right. So up north in Fresno... She's just cracking up. So stupid. I'm so sorry. up north in the city of Fresno, a set of suspicious fires would occur. And oh. Fresno is in central California. It's about almost exactly halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco. Not so walkable. No. <laughs> so this is about 220 miles away from the other fires in Los Angeles. The first in this series was on January 13th, 1987. So this is three years after the Oli's fire. Okay. 19, January 13th, 1987 at a Payless shoe store. Oh, man. Where the fire had been noticed by employees to have started in a display of sleeping bags packed tightly together. The next was on January 15th, two days later, at a Hancock fabric store. No one was hurt, but at the scene they found that signature incendiary device, the three matches rubber banded hmm. to the cigarette. The next day in Tulare, which is about an hour south of Fresno... At Surplus City, just like at the shoe store, a display of sleeping bags erupted in flames. Then 45 minutes later, also in the same oh, town shoot. of Tulare, just a few blocks away at Family Bargain Center, another fire broke out in a display bin of pillows. Found at that scene was again the same signature incendiary device. Jeez. Then just two hours later... An hour further south in Bakersfield, California, another fire broke out at a store called Craft Mart, where an, an employee noticed that the fire had started from a bin of dried flowers, like flowers you'd use to make cool craft stuff with. Mm-hmm. Called to the scene of the Craft Mart was Captain Marvin G. Casey of the Bakersfield Fire Department. That's my department. dad's name. Marvin, Marvin G. Casey? No, no, Marvin. just Marvin. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Marvin the Martian. No, he's, a, he's, he's not a Martian. <laughs> He's an adult. Okay. <laughs> and again, found at the scene by Captain Marvin Casey was that signature incendiary device of the matches, cigarette, and yellow lined paper. Then just a half hour later at another Hancock fabric store, but this one in Bakersfield, there was another fire. Dude, this guy sucks. Yes. And also pace yourself. There's a lot happening here. An employee later recalled that a man came in smelling of cigarette smoke. This man was described as being a white male wearing cowboy boots about 5'7 to 5'9 with a bit of a gut, like a belly, Mm -hmm. and medium brown hair graying at the temples. She told this customer that he couldn't smoke in the store. Now, this is the 80s. In the 80s, you actually could basically smoke anywhere you wanted, but not in fabric stores. That actually was not allowed. Because Because it's just just fabric everywhere. It's just a fire hazard. Oh, okay. Different reasons. But normally people (laughs) smoking in a store in the 80s, it's like not that uncommon. Yeah. I don't, you know, it's not like everybody was doing it, but it wasn't, you know. I wasn't doing it because I don't smoke. Kim's mom. Kim does not smoke. It was a joke, I swear. (laughs) 
<laughs> I also was a baby. Yeah, she's a baby. Yeah. So the employee tells the man that he can't smoke, and she kind of looks at his hands, and she sees, though, that she didn't see a cigarette in his hand. Mm-hmm. So she figured, and he starts heading out. She's like, all right, whatever, problem solved. Just a few minutes later, though, a fire broke out in a display bin of foam rubber material. And this fire, like the others, was contained quickly, and no one was hurt. But, of course, the same incendiary device was found. From the guy with the gut and the cowboy It's got to be, because he comes in, and he's got a cigarette. White cowboy boots? I don't know the color. Ugh. There were... <laughs> Your delivery. <laughs> I don't know the color. I don't know the color. Copy uh, that. I can't tell you. Noted. There were actually other eyewitness accounts of males in these other stores, right? So this is a bunch of stores. He mm-hmm. hits a bunch of places. But the problem was that the descriptions of these men all varied so greatly. Sometimes he was a male in his 20s. Sometimes he's in his 40s. And one of the best descriptions I read (laughs) was this, okay? Okay. Quote, white male, about 60 years old, standing six feet, six inches, weighing 250 pounds, with a snow white beard, (laughs) wearing a blue sea captain's hat, and a bright yellow rain slicker. Like what? Was he a... in a Did he movie? come in on a boat? Um, what am I trying to say? Who's Bill Murray? No, not who's Bill Murray. Bill oh. Murray is Bill Murray. Yeah, what, Life what's, Aquatic. Yeah, Life Aquatic with Steve Zuzuzu. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I just feel like that's not a real person. That's not a real person. Also, if you're a serial arsonist, that's how you're going to dress. You're going to have a snow white beard. <laughs> that's you're going to come in. Wearing a blue sea captain's hat and a bright yellow rain slicker. All right. Whoever, this is why I continue to stand behind it. And I've said Wait, it before. Hang on. From Hollywood, it's time for- Stacey's rant. Listen, <laughs> eyewitness testimony and eyewitness evidence is unreliable, people. This is direct evidence of that. I think case closed. What I want is for that to be the real description. It would be like, no, that's actually, I was wrong. He was not wearing boots and a cowboy hat. He was in a powder blue beanie yeah. and fucking rain slickers. It's ridiculous. A snow white beard. A snow white beard. Yeah. That's the best part. But not just white. Right. Snow white. So anyways, clearly though, there's an arsonist at large here. And whether or not the eyewitness accounts are lining up it's moby dick it's clear yeah (laughs) it's clear that this is someone who's deliberately setting fires but now he's moved to other areas of california why would he do this but this signature device that he's using to start the fires is so specific that it's got to be the same guy got to be got to be and because of that you have arson investigators in different cities theorizing that there's an arsonist but all of this information isn't really being looked at altogether. You've got the Los Angeles fires, and then you've got Central California fly- fires. They are not necessarily communicating this information with each other. You need, um, what's his name, potato chips. You need potato chips to tie it all together. Yeah. Or the internet. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> or somebody pick up a phone and just start somebody making calls. Somebody tweeting. Somebody tweet it out. So then again, another series of fires, very similar to that 1987 series I just told you about in Central California, mm-hmm. would break out in 1989, two years later. Damn. This spree would be again uh, further north from Los Angeles in the Morrow Bay area, which is just four hours north of L.A., and it's a really beautiful coastal town where people from L.A. will, on the weekend, you might take a trip up there. The first fire was on March 3rd, 1989 at 5.49 p.m. at a Cornet Variety store in Morrow Bay. The fire had started in a display bin of pillows and a fast-acting employee with a fire extinguisher put it out. 
Good job, employee. Dude, way to go. You know what? I'm go. very impressed by a lot of these employees. Working yeah. retail is legit really hard and yes. usually really sucky. Yeah. And then also they're great at doing stuff like saving lives. Oh, yeah. There you go. So the next day in a nearby city called Salinas at 1.25 p.m., a fire broke out at a Woolworths store, again in a display of pillows and bedding. Are you noticing Damn. a pattern here? It's kind of yes. like the same. These are really flammable things, pillows. Mm-hmm. And then five days later, 20 miles east in a city called Atascadero, a fire broke out at 9.30 a.m. at Pacific Home Improvement in a display with foam padding. And found there was that signature incendiary device. This dude knows where to go. He does. Yeah. Then about two hours later, also in Atascadero at another Cornette variety store, the same story. Same kind of fire. And the sa- then that same day, the next fire was at 12.09 p.m. at Coast to Coast Hardware. Then a fourth incident that very same day at 7.55 p.m. A fire broke out at a store called the Party Exchange, which is a uh, party supply store. So, so weird. It's on like this particular day, it's just four fires. Like he's got to do it. Like he's he's got to. He doesn't do it for a while, and then he's right. like, I gotta light all the fires at once. Gotta yeah. So weird. So that was a six fire spree in 1989. Wow! And the, all while he was wearing um, a bright yellow like, rain jacket, uh, rain jacket with a snow white beard. Snow white beard. Well. <laughs> wow amazing so really that six amazing. the six fire spree the first two were on march 3rd and 4th and the final four were all on march 9th i mean he's just like Jeez. picking up speech this is crazy so there's the 1987 series of fires in central california then mm. the 1989 series of fires in morrow bay we're going to talk now about a big fire that started in the hills of glendale california uh-oh so on wednesday june 27th 1989 a fire started in the hills of glendale and this is a disaster that would later be called the College Hills Fire. Oh, I think I heard that. Before. You might have. Yeah. Maybe. Any Anytime. California is just a big old fire hazard. We, oh, yeah. There's a fire right now. There's a fire right now, right next to Griffith Observatory. I hope it doesn't burn down. Griffith yeah. Park. That'd be terrible. But yeah, here in California, fire season is very real. We're used mm-hmm. to getting longer and longer it's very mm-hmm. very dangerous yeah when we have a lack of rain and you can just tell i mean if you go outside i mean i can tell i don't you probably can too right away yeah we're both from southern california so we get it like the second you open the door you can tell oh, there's a fire somewhere you can the sky's different mm-hmm. and we're just used to it sometimes there's just ash coming from the sky we just not that long ago had like we were surrounded by three major fires yes. here and then yes. my family in oceans in san diego my grandpa was evacuated Mm -hmm. or self-evacuated i can't remember it was close he evacuated to my mom's house and then his (laughs) he was fine but my mom was packed to evacuate yeah yeah it's terrifying and actually it it was last year or the year before new records were broken because yeah for the biggest fires most damage done i mean it just seems to be getting worse and worse but we are used to it here yeah so used to it that whenever i go to visit my husband's family in Washington, when I see snow falling, my brain thinks like, oh, this is ash ash from a fire. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. So this fire was called the College Hills Fire. It was around 110 degrees that day on June 27th. And the Santa... 
hot in the valley. It does get very hot People in Glendale. People want to talk about how great the weather is in California, which it, is like, we are pretty spoiled in LA. But we are. It and does get really hot in the it valley. It can become unbearably hot. And then when you have the Santa Ana winds blowing, which mm-hmm. again is something that we have here in this climate. And when the winds blow, it just makes it so difficult to put out a fire that's been started. Yeah. At 3.24 p.m., the first firefighters were dispatched. And at the scene was Captain Greg Jones of the Glendale Fire Department. The fire was moving fast and people were ordered to evacuate their homes. The fire had actually jumped the nearby 134 freeway and was literally jumping from shaker roof to shaker roof. Jeez. Just clearing homes, just knocking them down. Very terrifying, moving very fast. And it took several hours to contain this fire. And when all was said and done, 100 acres had burned and it had badly damaged 20 homes and burned 46 homes down to the ground. Damn, that's awful. A resident, Susan Raggio, a mother of six, recalled being at work when she got a call from her 13-year-old twin daughters who were at home watching the 15-month-old triplet... Oh, what? ...sisters, which is... This family is crazy. Wow! She's got two 13-year-old twin daughters and three 15-month-old triplet daughters. Good Lord. And the twins are watching the triplets. Ay, ay, ay. So they were worried that the sky was all orange. They're yeah. thinking there's a fire nearby. It didn't seem like the fire would come to their house. But Susan, the mom, she left work. She called her husband, said, you need to head home too. Mm-hmm. And she heads straight home. She gets there. Firefighters won't let her pass through to the area, even, oh, though, she, even though she's like, my kids are in there. She ends up passing out from smoke inhalation just on somebody's front lawn. And when she comes to, she's found like the neighbors are taking care of her. And she sees that her daughters had been taken into safety at the neighbor's house. And they, were, they were all okay. okay. The twins had third degree burns on the bottoms <gasps> of their feet from just running with the triplets with the babies. Which is oh, just goodness. like, it makes me want to cry. It's like so like, oh my God. Yeah. But otherwise they're okay. But their house, completely gone. Burned Jeez. to the ground. I mean, this fire was crazy. Yeah. Also at the scene was one of the arson investigators we heard about earlier from the Oli's fire, John chips. Orr. Potato chips, John Orr. Yeah, yes. what up, chips? What up? <laughs> Remember, he had thought that that Oli's hardware store fire was arson. And at the scene of the College Hills fire, he was able to locate the device that was used. It was a delay device. Uh. It wasn't our signature device. It was actually something different. It was a butane lighter that had been modified to stay on and continually be lit. Like something had been added to it to just keep it open. So it's one of those ones that's just like, and there's the flames coming out. This was a big lead because now they knew this was arson. Yeah. And potentially all of these fires, even though it's not the same incendiary device, they might be able to be connected. So clearly some investigating needs to happen. And while we have a lot of arson investigators whose names I've told you in the story, one that I mentioned before would have the best lead. It was Marvin Casey from Bakersfield. Oh, yeah. Mar- yeah. They definitely call him Marv. Marv. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For he's, sure. He's referred yeah. to as Marv. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Remember that first spree of fires in Central California in 1987? Yeah. Well, Captain Marvin Casey, being an arson investigator, he was developing a theory. Those fires in Central California in 1987 coincided almost exactly both time and location wise with an arson conference that was being held in Fresno, California. <laughs> what? On January 13th, Why is there 1987. An arson conference? So these conferences would happen all the time. It's a way to get firefighters and investigators oh, okay. together yeah, no, no, to no, train. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> never. It's like, what? <laughs> I think that's maybe the dumbest thing I've ever said. No, you know what? I didn't say it right. I should have said in, in like, they are referred to as arson conferences, but it's 
arson investig. I mean, it's it's for firefighters and arson investigators. Not for for. Uh, I mean, I was saying that at the tail end of it, but I didn't, I didn't say it right. Not for men with beards that are snow white. Right. Not snow white beard is not allowed. No. So this arson conference was held in Fresno and it's the first day was January 13th, 19, 1987, which is the same day that that first fire was set in 87 in Fresno. Ooh. And the conference lasted for several days and the fires matched up with someone having driven up to the conference, a couple fires right before the conference, oh. driving up the highway. Then as the the conference is over, some fires were set south of the conference, right on the main highway that you would have taken to come back home if you lived south of Fresno. Whoa. So Marvin Casey, what he did was, I mean, he literally got out a map and he's like putting, you know, like, you know, whatever it is, like like looking and looking at it. And he's like, wow, this really looks like somebody came up for an arson conference, set some fires, came back home and set some fires on their way home. Who was taking the most notes at the arson conference? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) So and this, these were all right off of Highway 99. So nine nine? Oh, like Brooklyn nine nine. Well, maybe. Cool. <laughs> maybe. So Marvin, Definitely not. <laughs> so Marvin Casey's theory was that our arsonist is a firefighter or an arson investigator. Oh yeah. That's pretty fucked up. Right. So he asked the arson conference personnel, the people that worked it, for the list of all 242 attendees. He was gonna get all their names as well as where they worked so he could narrow it down. Yeah. So if they worked at a jurisdiction that was in Southern California, like the LA area, they would be on his list because it had to be somebody who was coming back down because these fires started in Fresno and then were a little bit south. Okay. So that's, he's thinking somebody on their way home. Casey also had the incendiary devices recovered from each fire. He had them tested for fingerprints and there was actually one viable fingerprint. Dude, okay. I don't understand how this is a two-parter. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, the story gets crazy, Kim. It's whoever t- took the most notes and uh, has fingers. Notes. Has fingers? <laughs> yeah. Oh, fingerprints. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Sometimes I can tell by your face that I've said something so truly dumb. Like your face, you were like, like that can't possibly no, be what No, no way. Yeah, that's what I said. So the fingerprint was left on the yellow lined paper from the signature incendiary device. And when it was run by the F- the FBI actually ended up running it. And when they ran it, they found 13 points of identification. In order to go to trial, you need at least nine points of identification. So having 13 means that this is a really great fingerprint. It's a lock. Right. And it was run by the FBI. So okay. they're checking a registry of convicted felons, essentially. Mm-hmm. But there's no hits. Did they check um potato chips <laughs> definitely cool <laughs> so then marvin casey he goes to atf which is alcohol tobacco and firearms a division that is sometimes called in to help with arson cases actually mm-hmm. interestingly enough and atvs atvs are being checked out cool they ride in on atvs oh that's where they get the name the atf rides in on atvs Got that'd it. be cool as hell <laughs> Yeah, it'll be all right. Okay. So from that list of 242 attendees at the arson conference, Casey had narrowed it down to 55 names. So that's a a much more manageable list. Remember, this is people that he was able to narrow down based on where they worked because they had to be south, right? 
He asked Special Agent Chuck Galen of ATF to run prints on those 55 arson investigators against the fingerprint evidence they had. But Galen said, quote, 55 names of respected arson investigators. I wasn't at all comfortable with this. I knew some of them. They were neat guys with lots of integrity. <laughs> they were neat. Well, if they were neat, they that's were neat. one thing. They couldn't have started a fire if they right. were neat. I certainly didn't think that Marv Casey's intuition was worth a wholesale inquiry into travel records and so forth. They did call him Marv. Nice. I told you. He also said neat. I don't like this guy. Dude, they're neat. So when Marvin Casey started looking at the 1989 fire series in Morrow Bay, remember? Mm -hmm. He noticed the exact same thing. There was an arson conference that was held there. Dude. Marv. And it's all, it's the Mustache same. Marv. Everything. It's, it correlates with somebody having driven up north, mm -hmm. then on their way back home, setting some fires. That last day on their way home, they set those four fires you and know they head back down. This... I mean, I guess he's like, well, I'm already going, so I might as well just might as well do this just, other thing while I'm on my way. Yeah, totally. And then just like hit those other spots on my way back. It's reasonable. Like running errands, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Captain Marvin Casey took that original list of attendees in 1987. He compared it to the list of attendees in 1989, narrowing down both lists, right? Mm-hmm. He now had only 10 names. Mustache Marv. He's real good, man. Yeah. Now, he's not a cop. He's just a... He's not a cop. He's a firefighter, right? <laughs> so anytime he's going to try to go to the authorities with this, he's going to get some pushback because he's not a cop not and a you're copper. trying to do cops work. Mm -hmm. Now he felt like though he's getting somewhere with 10 names, right? He's like, let's... Let me ask ATF Special Agent Chuck Galen to run the prints of these people and see if there's a match. Because if it's just 10, let's do it. And... They ran the print. Chuck was like, "These some of these guys are still neat. I want to go on the record. They're still <laughs> neat. Yeah. There was no match. Damn. Meanwhile, down in Los Angeles, for the series of arsons that had happened there, they set up a special task force to investigate this particular arsonist, and the task force was called Pillow Pyro Task Force. <laughs> so that's what this guy, that's this guy's moniker. He's the Pillow Pyro. Oh. Because he's setting a lot of these He's like, no, this is not, this is bullshit. I'm Maybe. The Snow White Beard. The Snow White Beard <laughs> with the yellow rain jacket guy. Uh, but clearly because a lot of the fires had been set in display bins of pillows, that's why they called them that. And there's another group that met regularly to talk about arson investigation in general called Fire Investigators Regional Strike Team, a.k.a. FIRST. Cool acronym. Cool, yeah. I love when they back, you reverse engineer an acronym. Clearly you picked FIRST and then you're like, oh, F, fire, yeah. Let's just <laughs> yeah, skip yeah. The other. You uh, can tell uh, for sure. Fire uh, Investigators Regional Strike Team. Yep. First. It's first. first. It's it. it. That's coincidence. Yeah. It's coincidence. That sounds cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, let's go get the pillow pyro. Pillow pyro. So they had their regular meeting in West Covina, California on March 29th, 1991. And at the meeting, the pillow pyro was brought up, this arsonist. But they only knew about the Los Angeles fires. They don't know about the Central California Is and nobody Bay on fires. Twitter? Yeah, exactly. That's my question. Gosh. In the meeting, a flyer was passed out detailing the signature incendiary device and the MO of the arsonist, but no one had any information. But after the meeting, it was Scott Baker, an investigator from the state fire marshal's office in the Central Valley, who stopped first member L Los Angeles Fire Department investigator Tom Campuzano. He stopped him in the parking lot and he said, quote, I didn't want to say anything in there, but we had an arson series like yours back in 1987 and another one on the Central Coast in 1989. 
Why didn't you say anything in there? Camposano said, why didn't you mention it in there? Ah, Camposano, what's up? And Baker said, because Marv Casey of the Bakersfield Fire Department had a theory that a firefighter might be involved. And Casey has a good fingerprint from one of these fires. Meaning it could have been someone in that room that we were just... Damn. Right? So we can't just talk about this openly at this point. Yeah. Because it could be any of us. Yeah. The information... This information was brought to the attention of the ATF and um, Agent Mike Matassa was put on this case. And he wanted to run the print as quickly as he could, the fingerprint. Yeah, yeah. He was thinking, yes, the fingerprint had already been run, but maybe this person had committed a crime and now their fingerprint is in the database. Why not? Let's run it again because now we're putting run everything it all together. Just, we run it 24-7. Run, run it, it, constantly running it. Yeah. So this time, instead of running it in Central California, which is what they had done, they actually ran it through the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. Okay. So it's still going through convicts, but it has a different database because it's in Los Angeles and it's the County Sheriff's Department. And there was a match. Boom! <laughs> Wow. The laugh at the end. So many I just sound threw effects. a hand oh, down man, there. I don't like the laugh crazy. at the end. But the match wasn't a convict. Okay. Instead, since it was through LA County Sheriff, like I told it you. It was potato chips. It was a hit. It was a hit. <laughs> a hit came up for a man who had applied at the Los Angeles Police Department years prior. So they have access to another group of people, which is anybody who's ever pl- applied to be a cop, which is kind of a unique database. And the chances that they had round, run the print in that facility, it just all, it was, yeah. it all lined up. Yeah. And this person had tried to be a Los Angeles police department officer, but he had been rejected. He was now a fire captain and arson investigator named John Orr. The cut potato chips? You got it. Fuck. Are you kidding me? I'm not. I was just kidding. I know. Because John Orr, you know, but potato chips. Yep. Damn. I've never been right about literally anything. No, you were right about Schneeberger. Yeah, he got new blood. He got new blood. (laughs) Now, this is also the guy who, remember, he was talking about how the Oli's fire, where the four people were killed, he was convinced that this is arson. He goes to the victim's sister-in-law and is talking to her. This guy is so fucked up. So, this is where we are going to end. No! Yep. No! Now, listen, I want to tell you, Kim and listeners. Okay. Part two, it gets even crazier. If you can believe it, okay? This story gets nuts. And that's why we did two parts. I'm going to be tossing and turning thinking about this. Yeah, you are. Man! All right, Potato chips. Potato chips. (laughs) All right, let's do a real quick, how do you find us on social media? And then we're out. Go to potatochips.com. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Go to the internet. Yeah. Uh, hop on over to the internet and then you can search for our social meads at Kim Knows Nothing on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and .com. We locked that shit down. Yep. And leave us a review. Yeah, 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 yeah. Make leave my us day. a review. You can also, just, if you're on the, you're living on, listening on Apple iTunes, you can yeah. bop that knife. Just bop it. And then that'll take you to, I think, right? If you like click it, then it'll take you to. Yeah, you've got to click on our review. little Kim Knows Nothing, the thumbnail. Yeah, and then so you, you go down to the bottom. Yeah, you bop it. Yeah. And leave us a voicemail. Tell us about any corrections you have for Kim's pop culture references. Yeah. 747-217-2312. And also, um, if you have ever accidentally eaten meat-laced barbecue potato chips, let me know what's up. Yeah, that is a bummer. All right. Potato chips. See you next week. Damn it! (laughs) 
dude!